so music gives us suddenly a language. Suddenly we're not so different, you know, and, and we're from different parts of the country, maybe we're from different parts of the world, maybe we look totally different, maybe we're from different lifestyles, whatever, and yet music just breaks it all down. You know, it gets us down to the heart of the matter. But I think that was what music did for me that said, I want to do that. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. I love when I have the opportunity to talk with fascinating people and learn how God has met them along their way. I believe that everyone has a story and we can all learn from each other's journeys. Through my work as a television producer, I get to interact with some of the most amazing people making an incredible impact for God's kingdom. In this episode of Along the Way, my journey connects me with Dove Award-nominated singer and songwriter Andrew Greer. He's also one of the co-hosts of the hit TV show Dinner Conversations with Mark Lowry and Andrew Greer, turning the light on one question at a time, which can be seen on Amazon Prime and on Cornerstone Network. Before we get to the interview with Andrew Greer, I wanted to announce the winner of the giveaway from my last episode with Amanda Brocker. She recommended the book Love Leads by Dr. Steve Green, so I offered a copy to someone who would email me at johnalongtheway at gmail.com. Josh from Dexter, Michigan emailed me and wrote a very nice review of this show. He said, The brilliance of this show is how it reminds us that we are not home yet. Life is a journey, and God is with us along our way. Thank you, John, for the quality guest and your tremendous interviewing skills. I truly value the wisdom that is imparted as you converse with your guest. Josh, thank you for your very kind words. I will be sending you a copy of the book Love Leads by Dr. Steve Green very soon, and I will do my best to continue sharing quality along the way moments with you all. Stay tuned, because at the end of this episode with Andrew Greer, I will be sharing how you can win a signed copy of Andrew's latest DVD project. As we get into the interview now, I want to give you a short sample of a song that Andrew performed on the most recent time he was on my TV show, Real Life. Here's a part of his song, I've Been Searching. I've been searching all of my life Just to trying to piece together these battles in my mind but I ain't gonna stop till I live better days Jesus walk the waters and I'll ride the waves Jesus walk the waters and I'll ride the waves Here with Andrew Greer, the Andrew Greer. Oh, yes. I don't know how big a the that is, but yeah, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you, um, Andrew, and I have been uh, I've been friends for a little while now because yeah, of your right. many trips to Cornerstone Television. Yeah, here in Pittsburgh, it's kind of was my anchor. You know, I have family now in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you oh, know I that forgot or not. about that. Yeah, yeah, I've got cousins, a cousin who's a research research doctor at UP. But uh, so I have other reasons to be here now. But originally, it was just you guys and. Uh, yeah, we became friends for, from the first time. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm 
I'm grateful that you're going to be able to be on my podcast here yeah. along the way. And uh, because I, I know a lot about your music journey mm-hmm. and the different projects that you've worked on. And we've talked a little bit about your about your life so far. Mm-hmm. But I like to talk about people's journeys mm-hmm. um, because as we go through life and we look back sometimes, we just see where Jesus intersected us, mm-hmm. intersected our path mm-hmm. and changed our trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm calling this podcast along the way mm-hmm. uh, based off of the uh, road to Emmaus conversation mm-hmm. and how the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus that was with them, mm-hmm. but he was with them the whole time mm-hmm. and explaining the scriptures to them. And it was only after he revealed himself to them that they said, didn't our hearts burn within us mm-hmm. along the way as he was re- revealing the scriptures to us. Mm-hmm. So in saying all that, Andrew, <laughs> I want to hear your journey, uh, some of your story and um, some of those moments where God has met you and changed your course. Well, I mean, you know, some of that I don't even know yet, right? You know, sure. some is uh, happening now, and I will discover in hindsight, and some I'm not sure if if I'll know. And I think that's true for all of us until we're like, completely in communion with God and and as we were created to be, and, and those things will begin to make sense. But for sure there's been some... A couple intersections that are, are hard to that were hard to miss now, uh-huh. looking back, and you know I think um, my story. I grew up in Texas, uh, definitely grew up in church. You know, parents who were very involved uh, in church life, and that was a part of our community. Uh, our church was the congregation. Many of those became close friends of ours. But I didn't grow up with parents who were like teetotalers or. Uh, fundamentalist, you know, in that kind of negative sense of being real critical of people and using religion to be critical. Mm. Or I remember telling, remember experiencing one time uh, someone disciplining their kids in a way that was like, well, do you think God would want you to treat your brother that way? And I remember thinking to myself, my mother never blamed God. Like she disciplined, she said, I don't want you treating your brother that way, you know? And so that was... Um, helpful because it allowed me to, and I think my brothers as well, to experience God individually, personally, mm-hmm. to ha- to discover Him. You know, where would that experience, like, to allow my life to have those personal intersections, that they wouldn't be dictated, which they cannot be dictated anyway by mm-hmm. other people, but a lot of times we try to dictate. I think it comes from love and concern for someone. We want them to have the experience we've had with God, or we want to make sure they're going to be okay forever. And that's really out of our hands and out of our control. So I had really awesome parents in that regard so that I could have my own spiritual experience. And, you know, you know this very well. Music was the first experience I really had with God. It was the first right. time I discovered like a language to talk with him or maybe hear from him to it opened up a dialogue right to communicate and i don't don't remember prayer being that i don't remember scripture being that i don't remember sermons being that i don't remember sunday school being that i remember music being that and there was really something when i pressed my fingers into those keys you know on the piano which is where i first learned music that just released some sort of it was a channel, you know, it's as if when those hammers, you know, in the piano plucked those strings, mm-hmm. there was a resonance that went so deep inside of me. I knew it had to be the Spirit of God speaking, you know. And and so I've never really had a, a doubt 
about like an existence of a creator or mm-hmm. God because it's been so personal. There's so many intangibles that became tangible through music. And then, you know, even salvation experience, like uh, so many, especially in the Baptist world, I grew up in Southern Baptist world okay. in Texas, right? So, which was always like fear that you really didn't get saved. You know, you went to church camp uh-huh. and it was like, are you sure you're saved? Well, I don't know. I better go down. You know, so I was always, um, Gosh, John, you don't get to choose. It's so mysterious to me. While I think obedience, like we have this opportunity to love God Mm -hmm. and love others. I don't know how that's a really mysterious process to me about how God is finding and interacting with us because I don't know how I could have ever gotten away from God. You know mm. what I mean? So there was that intersection of music and all that. but And, and I had a really um, strong, I would say, spiritual journey through my growing up years in Texas under my parents' mm. household. Just, you know, all the way through junior high and high school, I loved reading scripture. I, I didn't have a lot of um, significant details in my teen life of angst or rebellion or mm-hmm. behavior uh, trouble anything like that but when i got into college and especially as i got into later college so this is you know coming up on 2021 um i realized that i had some i i had a sneaking suspicion even in high school more than a sneaking suspicion that um that i really had some strong addictions and that began to play out more um, towards my senior year of high school. I was very codependent on my relationships, mm-hmm. uh, not just dating relationships, friendship relationships, too. I found a lot of my identity um, in how much people liked me. Um, there was a lot of reliance on um, how I might be perceived and I don't think that was all disingenuous. You know, I think I loved people and I really mm-hmm. did want to please them and and wanted them to be good around me, to be okay. You know, like I, yeah. I wanted to, I think there's some hospitality and you're talking about the Enneagram. I'm mm-hmm. a two, so I'm a helper. I mean, okay. I want people to feel safe. But as a result, I also began to manipulate and control those mm-hmm. relationships to some degree. So you were the one that controlling those yeah, I mean, oh, okay. was I really? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, you yeah. know, like as much control as we have. But, yeah, I was trying to get something out. Like I mm-hmm. had such deep, insatiable needs emotionally in, in some ways. And I, I also just didn't know where it came from because it took work for me to understand more of what the background was that because I grew up, I feel like, with a really intact self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had hurt feelings from people and... You know, there were times when I was younger, I might have been teased about something that may have pinged me. But I had such a sanctuary in our home growing up, and I had friends, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was fairly quote-unquote popular or whatever. Like, I was accepted by most of my peers and really loved my growing up experience. Then got to college and was like, whoa, why am I so... I couldn't even identify what it was, like a need and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then from an addictive standpoint... Um, I knew probably even as a late teen that I was struggling with sex addiction. And so you mix codependency in for Mm -hmm. that and it can make for a real like toxic kind of cocktail. Um, 
And so I was having to like face that head on by the time I was 21, 22. And I remember this leads to an intersection with God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Probably one of the most poignant ones I've ever experienced. And that I've only shared with some really close friends, actually. I don't even know if I shared this with my parents, but the, um, I have a very, very close friend. His name is Ben. And he lives now with his family in Minnesota. But we were uh, close friends in college at Belmont University. That's how I got to Tennessee okay. and Nashville. And he's a beautiful person and, and cellist and songwriter and just... Uh, he's from Minnesota. I did not understand him at first. I didn't understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Number one, how he said things, but then two, he was, he was just a really um, maybe that was an intersection of God to some degree. He taught me how to slow down my brain and mm. how to how to in, tune up to my heart, um, how to be quiet, I, and how to like. He really made me an introvert, <laughs> and I think I may have made him an extrovert. <laughs> so really, okay. yeah, we we got to swap places, but. Um, he just taught me about solitude. I, I did not realize until I came into friendship with him that I was not okay being alone. Hmm. Of course, I'm still struggling through all that, right? Codependent on my relationships. I'm sure I was even codependent on my friendship with Ben at some point. Um, but anyway, we became roommates towards the end of uh, in a house off campus, towards the end of my college career, and then a couple years after I got out of college, and he was still in college. And so we kind of knew each other's schedules, the roommates. There were a few of us in the house, and I worked at this. My first job in the industry was with Michael W. Smith and Rockettown Records, uh, kind of a a joint little thing there. And uh, so I was, when I graduated college with a music degree, but I had interest in music business and industry stuff, I suddenly was working, you know, in that world. Hmm. And But I worked two or three nights a week at a little coffee shop called JJ's in downtown Nashville. That's no longer there. It just got shut down. A historic oh, place. Sad. Very sad. Kind of a vice shop. that Like, they sold imported uh, chocolates and, you know, all this hmm. kind of stuff. Anyway, really cool place. But it would be open till midnight. It was on the, like, near Vanderbilt campus. And okay. a lot of students would come study. And so you'd get, you'd close up about 1 a.m. really after washing dishes and whatever. And I'd work there two or three times a week at night after... Um, working for Michael in Rocktown, and uh, I can't even—I don't even totally know what was kind of took over that night. But I remember when I got off from JJ's, I was going to go. One of my friends had just lost her grandmother, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted a card or something just to say, you know, something. So I went around to like um, Kroger's because they're the only thing open that late, right? To look for mm-hmm. a card and stuff. And but John, I can't even explain it hours passed and I was just driving around town it felt like a drunken stupor Mm. except I hadn't had a drop of alcohol you know I mean there was something from my compulsive kind of addict brain that was driving me and I I just can't even explain it so I'm not going to try to here's what I know is that I ended up at a Kroger was closer to the house where we lived and this was back in the day of kind of flip phone, cell phones. Okay. And I would leave it. You didn't take it everywhere you went. You didn't always have it in your pocket. Like, I'd leave it in the car. And I really wasn't paying attention to it. It was silenced or something. I'd get back into the car after that, going into I don't know how many umpteenth Kroger's this is to look for a sympathy card. I don't know what I'm doing. And I get back into the car, and there's like 15, 16, 17, 18 missed phone calls from Ben. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning by now. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like when I, all I know is when I flipped up that phone and saw his name there and all those missed calls, 
it's kind of like shocked me out of whatever this dark all I can explain is is like a a darkness I felt Mm. as if I felt very heavy very oppressed but I and being driven by a force outside of myself and I don't know still to this day to what end I don't know what was going on all I know is it kind of broke at that point in time when I saw his missed calls I called him back he was still awake and he said where are you you know what are you doing and I said I don't really know what I'm doing but here's where I'm at and he said stay there and I said, okay. So he came down. I just stood outside my car in the parking lot, and it was middle of the night. He came down there, and he said, what time did you begin driving around? And I told him. And he said, you know, I was in your room, because in my room there was kind of a communal like TV area mm-hmm. thing, and when I wasn't there, they would watch it. And he said, I thought of, and this was not like Ben. Ben was not very good with details, or he didn't know my schedule backwards and forwards. And he said he got finished watching some TV and realized what time it was, and then I wasn't home and thought that was strange and felt compelled to call me and just make sure I was okay and call me, call me again and again and again. He was on the verge of calling the police. Mm. And he said, he comes from a very Pentecostal background, and he said the Spirit of God began to move him to pray and pray and uh, tongues over the safety of my life. And we tracked all these things, time that he was praying, what I was experiencing, all this kind of stuff, just the the connectivity hmm. of the timeline. I know it sounds very unprofound the way I'm explaining it because I can't even fully express the detail of it because I don't know all the details. Sure. All I know is I've never experienced the care and of God, like the idea that God knows, He sees, and He cares, never experienced it um, in such a palpable way as I had in that moment. And I think it gave me, um, it gave me some, like a bit of a foundation to believe that God is not lofty, that He's mm. personal. And so there was a translation that began to happen from God. At, being seeing God as my father mm-hmm. to really beginning to understand him as my friend and that that I was safe and safe doesn't mean I'll be alive forever in this skin or that I won't have a dying experience because I think I will you know before mm-hmm. I enter into the, into the other side but anyway it was a profound experience yeah. that I can't fully you know even communicate but it seems like the, that god revealed himself to you in this in those details the way that that all those things kind of lined up and um you know as you as you and ben were comparing notes mm-hmm. <laughs> and seeing where god was intersecting i'm, I'm almost seeing this played out in like a, a movie just like you know like a split screen and he's praying yeah. and doing things that's what it felt like yeah. it felt like this kind of matrixy thing or something you know that was like whoa this was actually like, and I remember talking to my mom, who's a very, she's a very spiritual person, but very practical in her faith, mm-hmm. I would say, but, you know, kind of up every morning reading, praying, but again, never like held that over our heads, God over our heads. And I remember kind of not relaying that experience, but being like about the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, yeah, of course the spiritual realm is real. And I don't know. When you're younger, you kind of think of it as this fantastical thing that's probably a little bit impractical, and you're starting like the to force in Star Wars. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> Except I hate Star Wars, but um, <gasps> I know, right? Yeah, we're the interview over. So, <laughs> but I remember if my mom, this practical woman in general, and then a practical woman of faith—at least that's how I saw it—believing in the supernatural, and I just do. 
I just think there's a lot at play. Mm. And if I can be present to that more, I don't think I have some special glimpse into that world. But if just to be present and knowing that there really is this kind of tension, you know, with this life that we're in currently, or the context of life we're in currently. Okay. That there's a tension between my experience here and as I was created to be, you know, like. I think that's what drives us to want to be more like Christ. God has an original design for us Uh that we're not achieving that because we're in this fallen state. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's that hole. It's that God shaped hole that I've heard Mm -hmm. people, you know, I I forget who was originally the one that coined that Mm -hmm. phrase, but it's so true Mm -hmm. that there's something that's pulling us to be more like God. There's something that pulls us to accept that our, our, our need is Jesus. There's a longing for sure. And there are so many ways to, there are so many surface ways to try to meet that longing. You know, I mean, I've, I have rehearsed many of those ways, you know, and so, yes, I think, you know, how do we meet Jesus? How does he fill that, you know, that space within us? How that's, that's hard. You know, some people want to know exactly how that works. They want to know the mechanics of Mm -hmm. it. And it's not a mechanical thing. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's the, the steps of, you know, you can, like, even let's go to, like, sinner's prayer. I've been having to kind of reckon with that over the past several years because, well, one, that's not a biblical thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think what it says is biblical, the surrendering our lives sure. to Jesus. But it's not the point of salvation. You know, like, I don't know how Jesus is, bef- like, how he is taking the scales off our eyes so that we are able to experience his friendship, you know, like for real. I don't know how that, I don't know. Do you? (laughs) I I wish I knew. Um, I I know. I mean, we, we, we know in part because we see in part. Right. Right. I, I, you know, I, I want to know more about that. I mean, I know me too. The just, I mean, for, I don't, I don't have like a specific, I mean, I do have like a, a day. I don't remember the, that specific day was sure. what it was. I, it's like a season in my life. I was mm-hmm. like four years old, mm-hmm. and I heard somebody that was a professional roller, der- roller derby uh, <laughs> uh, athlete share her testimony at my church. Later that night, I wanted to pray and ask Jesus into my heart. I have, I don't know anything about roller Listen, derby. Listen, if we can incorporate Jesus into roller derby, everyone will be saved. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but <clears throat> like for, for me, that that moment where I knew that Jesus became my Lord and Savior even before I said a word. It was that yeah, decision in yeah. my heart uh-huh. that even as a four-year-old uh-huh. that I knew that Jesus was going to be the forgiver of my past, I mm-hmm. guess. Even though I was only four at the time, there wasn't too much that I, <laughs> yeah, that I had yeah, done, yeah, but I had done yeah, it, yeah. obviously, yeah. enough. You weren't vile yet. <laughs> yeah, not, not too vile yet. But, um, you know, later on, I, you know, when I was 15 is when I really gave my life to the Lord, uh-huh. like, the, I surrendered my will and my life uh-huh. for the Lord, yeah. and so I, I think, yeah, those those sinners' prayers are a good thing, and uh, it's, it's a step de- forward. It's a good step mm-hmm. forward. But where is it that we actually, uh, in my church, we use the term "cross the bridge"? Yeah, it kind of the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, I was six, you know, and so I have memory of 
kind of like you of where, where the compelling really first began internally, you know, and, and, and I did walk down the aisle and I got baptized with a really close friend who now professes to be an atheist. Mm. And I don't know why, who's still a close friend. I, I can't explain to you, John, why his life and circumstances would move him in that direction and mine would move me closer and closer to God. I have seen so many people with some parallel journeys to minds, parallel addictions or mm. struggles or, you know, a childhood trauma like mine, whatever, that that for some reason distances them from God, and mine has only moved me towards God. It mm. continues to move me towards God, even in the in the like depth of my depravity mm-hmm. is some kind of compelling towards God, you know, and, and I don't know that they're not being compelled towards God either. It just looks right now sure. this way, you know, well, it's our, it's our response too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we are held accountable with our response. God's drawing everybody and he's providing mm-hmm. an opportunity, mm-hmm. but we can either respond and go towards him or go a different direction. So do you think we can... Okay, here we go. (laughs) Do you think we can respond even in the midst of some of our darkest, like, um, I say dark, but however you want to define that, uh, behavior or struggles and challenges and tensions? Do I think that we can respond towards God? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... God leaves the 99 to go after the one. Right. Hmm. And that's not going to be, you know, some uh, that one is oftentimes not pictured in, oh, they're just walking in a, in a nice right, meadow. Right. No, that one is in the valley. In the valley. In the it's, or you know, quicksand. <laughs> it, quick, yeah, there's there's something coming after it. Like, there's a reason that, um, you know, we're, we're kind of drawn to that, that image of it, Christ coming after us that way. I mean, I'm drawn to that picture of Jesus because it, um, it really is the friendship of Jesus, but also that that man of sorrows, hmm. um, that grief's patient friend picture, you know, because it says that he's not unaware, that he's actually aware. And even in his awareness, he is like compelled towards us. You know, that that's friendship mm-hmm. to be desirous of someone, even when they're not desiring themselves, you know, like not treating themselves well, not in healthy, always healthy states. And I, I have a, uh, I wouldn't call him acquaintance, a college friend, but we have not kept up in, in years. But I have one of my very closest friends is one of his closest friends. So there's a deep, mm-hmm. you know, a quick connection who lost his life just on Thursday. So last week and is, you know, 35, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's a peer of mine. And um, a long um, struggle with, um, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. And and my friend and I were talking about it some, you know, you try to make sense of these things. And there's no doubt there's a tragedy that associated with that, mm-hmm. partly the youth in his age and then partly just the tragedy of of where addiction can lead. But I am, I don't know why we each struggle with what we struggle with. I know, and I've read some of his, he was a songwriter and read some of his lyrics and, and like he was convinced 
by the graciousness of Jesus, you know, like, and no doubt in my mind if it, that he would be defined as a Christian with all the, this, like the demons in his mm-hmm. life, you know, and sometimes just, I think we don't all like some get more than their fair share. Yeah. And I don't think that's like God throwing that on them. I don't quite know how that all works out. Maybe it's genetics and earth. And those will definitely be questions that I ask to God when I get to heaven. Right. Like it just was too much of too much. And think that's what was true in his life and i almost sense a, a bit of mercy in his exit you know being able to like not be tortured his whole life but all that to say like some we we're still in a culture spiritually speaking that might say he didn't surrender his life to god because he because of all these things that were still plaguing him that some people who would know all the things that still plague me and would go well you're not surrendered to god i'm like you're right in that <laughs> like in that area you're right but at the same time you're so you're you're like right or you're accurate but you know what's more accurate is that i sing every morning you know all to jesus i surrender all to right. him i freely give that is more accurate in my life like that has the trump card mm. and so I think it's important to communicate that, you know, as people of belief, like just in the midst of every of of it all, there can still be a really great pursuit of God and um, really poignant intersections with God, yeah. you know. I, I, I what you're just talking about here kind of makes me think about how, you know, once we think we have it all together. We realized that we're full of pride and we don't have it all together. <laughs> yeah, it's and definitely so, lacks some humility. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, whenever, you know, they're, like we were just saying that there's mm-hmm. certain people that would say, because you're struggling with this, you're not, you're mm-hmm. not fully surrendered. It's a continual surrendering that we do, a daily mm-hmm. surrender. Mm-hmm. And so, am I closer to being, uh, to being like Jesus today than I was yesterday? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I, I'm praying that's mm-hmm. the case. And am I surrendering more today than I was yesterday? I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my goal. It's my mm-hmm. intentions. Do I still fail? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I there yet? No. Yeah. And if I ever think, you know, I'm mm-hmm. good enough, then you're not. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. And I don't attain worthiness. I'm qualified to be worthy through Jesus. He is my qualification. Yeah. And I will continually you know, press myself into that qualification. Because the fact is, at the end of the day, I just cannot attain it. And I will not pretend that I can attain it. That's good. You know, even in in seasons of greater health, and seasons of better decisions and seasons of moving past some things I've struggled with in, in my history, you know, even in moving forward, I'm not moving in my attainment of anything. Maybe I'm just more relaxing into my qualification through Jesus. I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's which is the surrender card. Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually just laying back more on him rather than trying to chase something else. I don't know. You know? Yeah. That's, that's great. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really, that's really some good stuff to think about. Andrew. Mm-hmm. I do have some other questions yeah, yeah, that are there. Sure. Kind oh, that was planned. only one. <laughs> that was we got through like maybe one yeah. question. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm enjoying this very, very much. So, um, so do you remember the first thing that God spoke to you, or hmm. the first thing that you heard God say, and how did that change you? 
I don't. Um, I would have to go back to music. Uh, music always felt like God speaking, so mm-hmm. maybe I do remember. But I just felt so safe um, in the sanctuary of music, and in the at the piano, I just felt so safe, and I didn't grow up with a lot of unsafety. You know, mm-hmm. I was in not in unsafe environments. Um, my home again was a really solid environment, but there was like a deeper safety. You know, we don't know all that we're going to be insecure about and all the ways that we're going to act out based on that and stuff in, in our future when we're kids. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid learning to play the piano, but we do have this kind of innate sense of insecurity, a fear. It's just part of it. You know, like, I don't know what I was fearful of yet, but I had some sense of like sure. being afraid or definitely being insecure definitely a feeling of like i'm not enough Mm. you know um i've always had that feeling and maybe that's part of my two personality again the enneagram thing Mm -hmm. is like the helpers try to achieve love by doing something for you you know so that would definitely be a response to not feeling like enough and in fact i think that's supposed to be the positive message i'm supposed to repeat to myself is you're enough or something like that as a two Uh um but that's a really hard message for me to receive. But, you know, I felt like in the with music, not because I was achieving anything. This was when I was alone with music, hmm. not performing, not writing, not doing a recital, not accompanying a musical, whatever. I just felt enough. So maybe that was God's first, you know, first time his voice was kind of palpable or heard sure. to me. Because that's definitely a profound message of the gospel is that you're you're enough, you know, like you're you're done as is like you're good yeah I, I sometimes i feel like music is a way that god wraps his arms around us mm-hmm. whenever we're in that place of worship mm-hmm. in that quiet moment in that uh, stillness of our alone worship time with god mm-hmm. um, for so. sure music is um and it is for so many people uh even no matter their belief system I, I, that's why i think it really is one of god's primary language is maybe his language i don't know maybe he doesn't speak maybe he sings you know like it is so universal and it's so deeply profound and known to be profound and people feel i mean we relate to huge moments of our lives through music through Mm -hmm. a song that was played or through you know we remember things based on music people who have dementia remember all their songs but they can't remember their kids names Mm -hmm. you know like that's Amazing. That means like somewhere in there, there's like it's tuning up something in us that is from way before we remember. You know. So I want to talk a little bit about your your purpose now Mm -hmm. and kind of your calling, I guess, in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So you fell in love with music early. Mm -hmm. How did you end up going from having it being a hobby, something that you Mm -hmm. enjoy doing, to something that you you do professionally now? A ton of work. <laughs> a ton of work. But what what made you decide, like, I really want to do this. I, oh. think, I think this is what God's calling me to do. I think uh. this is what I want to do with my life. Well, it was what came most natural, and I think that's how we understand some of our calling. Um, it's where I felt safest. It's where we understand some of our calling. Uh, I think I saw others participating in music. I saw audiences participate in music. I saw congregations participate in music. I saw the way music could move people, the way it could unite people, the way it could help us experience things that express things we're trying to express but we don't know how to, like mm-hmm. with words alone and 
all that. I grew up going to concerts. I mean, just loving the live experience of music. And so even watching other people. But I remember this. So maybe music is my calling, but I think people are my calling Mm -hmm. in the sense of I always love the way people... I love the way musicians, whether it was an artist mm-hmm. or whatever, connected with people through the art form of music. I always saw that as like not the end game because that sounds you know like makes people a thing, but but that was really the motivation. You know, I saw that with some of my favorite artists growing up is right. that they really spent time with people, they loved on people, um, they made themselves available to people, even some really huge celebrity artists, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I loved that. I thought. So music gives us suddenly a language. Suddenly we're not so different, you know, and and we're from different parts of the country. Maybe we're from different parts of the world. Maybe we look totally different. Maybe we're from different lifestyles, whatever. And yet music just breaks it all down. You know, it gets us down to the heart of the matter. So I think that was what music did for me that said, I want to do that. It It was how can music help me? communicate to maybe yes a large group of people so that we can all communicate together more easily that's pretty cool yeah i I think that's still true you know like music has been an entry point for me into other things uh into writing you know um the written word and then into this kind of hosting and you know podcast slash tv world intersecting more with your world Uh um i think that still has everything to do with people i'm I mean, someone recently told me you don't have to answer all your Facebook messages because it got a little, uh, someone, one of them got a little loopy, you know, uh, it wasn't until <laughs> anyway. So, you know, it was like, and yeah, I, mean, I could also just use better discernment, you know, oh. but, um, but it's kind of hard for me cause I'm like, but that's the, the response is so key for me. It's so it's the elementary part of why I love what I do, you know? It's very interesting. You want to help people realize what what God has shown you. Or, I think or I want what you're feeling with music. I think I want people to know they're enough, and I think mm. music helps with that. I think being generous on camera helps with that. You know, um, I I think us showing ourselves true selves in a more public forum where that's safe. You know, we can't share every detail every right. time, but. Humility, you know, true humility um, can help others, I think, connect with themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're connecting with ourselves, if we begin to connect with ourselves, I think God's right there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it can sound kind of new agey, but it's not. Um, it's so intertwined to connect with myself is, is to be able to open that up to connect with God. If I can, like, if I can love myself that's kind of a sign that i'm receiving god's love you know what i mean because Mm -hmm. god again is the qualifier you know so if we for those that i know close to me who struggle with loving themselves it's really a struggle to receiving the fact that god loves you as is right so well david said i am fearfully and wonderfully made i know that full well yeah full well like he's accepting that fact that he is loved by God and therefore he can look at himself in that proper light. Yeah. And being able to receive our, to accept ourselves through that lens, then lets us accept everyone else through Mm -hmm. that lens. I, I don't care what culture we're in. That's 2019. I believe fully I can accept everyone. I mean, 
everyone. I've talked to friends like this. Get this make it a little weird, but I've talked to friends about you know. There's kind of some new language around. I don't even know how to go here, but people who you can edit this later if you want. But people who uh, child abusers. That's that's something that hurts mm. us all. I even think it hurts the child abuser. I, th- I think we know intuitively children should be protected and and don't have choice at a certain age and all that stuff. A hundred percent. I can still accept someone we consider the most vile of our population mm. is not more vile than me from a spiritual perspective. Wow. The consequence of the behavior maybe more traumatic and I get it. I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything acceptable about the behavior, but I, I truly believe I can accept that person. Now I haven't been tested. I haven't, my feet okay. haven't put to the fire of like, well, my child and me, you know, being abused by someone and like, how do I respond to that? Okay. So this may be a little bit of like, naive hyperbole except for I have to live that way Mm -hmm. because it's the way that I continually present myself before God and say you alone I just don't hold the gavel you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I don't hold the gavel now I can protect people around me from being hurt to the best of my ability and would want to do that and there are people who are not healthy there are times I am not healthy. That you should not necessarily be required to interact with me if I'm not healthy. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like you can use your own discernment and your good judgment and all that kind of stuff. But it's just saying the worst of the worst. Like my favorite verse is Second Timothy. It says, and here is a trustworthy saying. It reminds me of the David thing full well. Mm-hmm. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience and his example to those who would call on his name and believe. Now to the king. Okay? So all of that. And then we Take it back. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, not me, the only God, be honor and glory forever. To me, that's, I mean, it's Paul saying it, but I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. The worst of sinners. Like, it's not, I don't think that's some kind of shame card. I think that's me recognizing me for who I am, you know, and turning it back to who makes me different or makes me yeah. as I was designed originally, you know, without sin. Wow. <laughs> you know, the original creation. I don't know. It's, it's really hard for our culture I mean, you, to love people. Yeah, it, it is. It's unconditionally. <laughs> this is, a, this is something that I've been thinking. And I, I, I kind of have this conviction in my heart that the biggest issues that we have in society with with other people is it all boils down to the fact that we don't believe that we are who God says we are. And if we don't believe that we are who God says we are, then in order, in order for us to feel better about ourselves, then we need to put other people down. But, um, you know, we need to be better than them somehow. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a a comparison thing. But when you do believe that we are God, we are who God says we are, then you can believe that, 
that other people are who God says that they are. Yes. And God esteems value and esteems worth in them. And therefore, you can lift each other up as, a cho- as opposed to putting each other down. Yeah, the deflection yeah. then somehow will oppress someone else. You know, the deflection of me believing I am who God says. And it can, you can say it's all idealism. I get that there's realistic, there's real life out here, you know. And, and, and there is a point to grieve our harms towards one another. Mm-hmm. It is not to dismiss. Oh well, that person is made in God's image and is a, and at it was designed good. But they've done a really terrible thing, a very offensive thing. That is, we should not dismiss our grief over that. Our that breaks our hearts. But you know why that breaks our hearts? Because we know that's not how we're designed to be. I actually think the heartbrokenness, rather than the judgment of someone who's harmed someone, really. Mm-hmm bad but the heartbrokenness over it is actually us saying like at our core we're grieving because it's not how we were created it's it's like i had it i'm gonna go somewhere else again okay <laughs> i when the that shooting happened it's gotta be a couple years now and that gay club in florida the pulse, the pulse nightclub in florida okay yeah. yes in florida and how many was it? Fifty people or something that were killed, point Smart. blank, shot point blank. Okay, one that that takes a very defiant spirit to go in somewhere and shoot anybody point blank. I mean, that's, that's something going on wrong, you know? Right. I get that. And so, I was immediately hurt, hurt by that. Just like, ah, that's people's lives and a senseless mm-hmm. tragedy. I was talking to a friend um, about it, and they kind of said nonchalantly, well, nothing happens good after midnight. Like, kind of like we shouldn't be out after midnight anyway. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. 50 people, or whatever the number was, too many, just died at the hands of a person or two. For no, for we don't really understand what reason. Right. Now, you can say it's about their lifestyle choice. There is no reason. So, and your response to that is, well, nothing good happens after midnight. That's not human. That's not a human response, and that's not someone, at least in that moment of their life, who has received who God says who they are. Because if you've received that, right, then I have to say those lives are completely valuable mm-hmm. um, and accepted. You know, like... And so that is an unacceptable act because it's opposing life. I don't know if that's completely random, but it's it just reminded me of like where we tend to go to is like we value people based on their behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that instance, you could say that for either side, the people being shot, where you, you devalue them because nothing good happens after midnight and they're in a club and they're of a different lifestyle or whatever. And then, well, then the person shooting like... And I just look at it with grief. I just look at yeah. it with heartbrokenness because it's just all mixed up, you know. It's all, to me, identity issues as far as who we really are and that is that we're loved as is, no exceptions. So, and to me, that act opposed that truth mm-hmm. that's from God. Anyway, so it's easy to hold this 
I think it's easier not to reckon with it. And maybe, you know what, maybe that friend of mine, her grief was actually so deep Mm. for that, again, that this is not how it was meant to be, that she had to come up to the surface and find some, grab her gavel back and just make a quick judgment call so she could move ahead in her life. And I get sometimes that's what we have to do Mm because the fact is we have no control. You know, like that's heartbreaking in of itself. It's really hard to admit that we don't have control. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the it's the truth. But sometimes it's like we want to we want our opinions to be able to fix everything out there. Like you watch the news and you're like, well, if I was in control, I wouldn't. That wouldn't yeah, happen. yeah, or almost. Wait, so then we also try to make sense of things mm-hmm. because we can't make sense of it, which is also a surrender to I'm not in control. And we try to make sense of it by surface judgments, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to have to hold my tongue, you know, and I'm going to have to, I'm, I just have to like issue a prayer, you know, that once again says, I am not in control. And this is evidence of how un in control I am, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and so I, I lay down again, I surrender again, I press into you again, and I ask that your light be exhibited, not like pierce the darkness do Mm -hmm. it you know i just think that's the only posture i can take because i just can't and i just can't judge anybody like i have it's the plank thing in your eye totally Mm because it's like oh my gosh i have a i have like a cement truck driving through my eye all the time you know like i mean and and you know in recovery terms i've heard people say you know like we have enough to be concerned about for ourselves to have to worry about everyone else. And that's yeah. like kind of a, a way just to say, take care of yourself right. and don't worry about everyone else. Well, yeah, I also care about everyone else and I care about their plight and their struggle. But it is a way of saying like, there's, there's just no room for judgment. Yeah. We're again, talking about purpose and destiny. Um, what are some practical steps that you took towards achieving that call in, in life? Yeah, I think, hard work comes with practicality, right? I mean, first was being trained in a household where is not shunned um, or diminished to go after creative fields. Mm-hmm. And then a belief that you have a brain that can work out the details of that so you can make ends meet or provide for your family right. with what you're really passionate about. So I think that was a first step that I didn't have a lot of control over. That was my parents and their messaging that helped motivate me. But I definitely, each person has to do it for themselves, right, to to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think think not being afraid of hard work in the sense of hard work that's not totally associated with what you think your purpose or calling is. Mm -hmm. I think purpose and calling is deeper than our profession on any level. So you can actually be exercising some purpose and calling before you get to the profession you're really looking for. And I do think it's important to work towards your profession, like do something you love and work towards yeah. doing that. Um, cause I think there's something spiritual about that too. But I mean, I've waited tables at a cafe, you know, and I worked early morning shift at the YMCA, you know, it was practical cause I got my membership free and also got some extra cash. I did, you know, I taught piano lessons. I hated teaching lessons. I love kids and I just uh-huh. can't stand teaching them. So, um, but I did, you know, I was a decent teacher and it was kind of more affiliated with what I wanted to do. And yeah. I did some things behind the scenes in the industry. And 
I think I just wasn't afraid of that, and I had a strategy the whole time. It's not that the strategy always went just like I said it would, right. but I would look at I need this much money to live, and then how can I begin to pare down from the jobs that aren't associated with the profession I want and begin to replace that income with association to what I want to do. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. So, it, so I didn't have to all at once be like, i got to make my whole living at only the thing I love. Well, no, maybe I'm only making like 10% at first of the, mm-hmm. off the thing I love, but it's got, but I can build some momentum off that, or I can build some relationships off that, that will, that will help me facilitate that in the future. And these other things I can just begin to, it felt more practical to like, okay, I'm going to stop waiting tables as of this date. And let's say I make $400 a month doing that. So I'm going to, f- I brainstormed and figure out what was associated with my career. Well, you know, it certainly didn't seem like such a big chunk to chew off rather than mm. I need to, I need to make up for $2,000 all off this thing that kind of is intangible still. Well, huh. $400. Okay. We'll start there. And then, and, and there's some trust and faith and all that, like that we're going to be taken care of. We're going to be provided for. It's also some like limiting my expectations. I didn't buy a house until after a lot of my peers. And that was so that I could have some leeway, some lack of liability mm-hmm. financially that, that's that a house will you know there's liability with a house and there's a, a lot of expense with the house so i didn't have that i just had rent you know as i could make my rent the rest was taken care of you know little things like that but that takes swallowing some pride mm-hmm. there were definitely some moments where i thought i was behind in life and because i wasn't doing some joneses of things like mm-hmm. buying a house by this time or getting married by this time and I, i'm not to, not saying relationships get in the way of profession at all but um, you know, you just look at everyone else and think they're doing what they're supposed to do. And now, in hind- a little, a little bit of hindsight, mm-hmm. I've got a long way to go. But it's like, oh yeah, and they're still at that nine to five. I really didn't want. There, yeah. And now I'm my income is on par with like where it needs to be to provide for this phase of my life and. So on par with them. And it just takes so little time. It seems like a long time to build to where you're wanting to go. But if I look 10 years ago, I was releasing my first record just independently, no distribution, pre-selling it myself, and mm-hmm. and had a goal to be on the road two weekends a month with a paying gig. Even if it was just one night, you know, like that was the goal. And I kept myself to that. I'm sure there was a month where I didn't have two weekends or something. Mm-hmm. But I, that was the goal. And some months I probably had three. And I drove myself around in my Xterra with my portable piano and would set up my own stage and even like brought Christmas lights and a couple of candles to make it feel good when it was the most horrible of vibes, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it, I look back kind of fondly at some of that stuff now, but it didn't seem so hard because it was what I... And yet it was really hard too. I don't know, you know, like I guess just being willing to swallow your pride, you know, and do the things that are required within a healthy perspective to move forward. I, I was listening to a this guy who's an ABC executive producer and has had really great success in that world. And he was talking about that very thing, like don't be afraid to see some opportunities that you can't quite figure out how that aligns perfectly with your mm. end destination because there is no end destination. And it very well may reveal something you didn't even know about the industry you love that gives you a chance to do that. Or it may just be it make ends meet for now and it's better than... Starving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And there's some pride in just providing for yourself, right? Being able to eat at the end of the day. So 
anyway, um, and then celebrating achievements along the way. I, you know, I'm a big non-achievement person. Like achievements are not the goal, but. I also have been taught more recently by some close friends how to celebrate, how to stop and say, hey, that's cool. You know, like when Mark and I on this show dinner conversations that we do, um, when Amazon Prime picked it up, like that's a mainstream, major streaming service picking up a show we just started, you know, like a year and a half ago. And someone said, could you stop a second and like go out to eat with some friends and like splurge a little bit and it wasn't that i'm wound so tight i wouldn't do that i just i'm a worker and i move forward and i don't take things as i kind of set my expectations at a realistic level so these things are you know maybe that's my insecurity of failure Mm -hmm. or something but anyway so to celebrate along the way i think celebration actually is a good motivator too yeah that's something i'm i'm learning as well Mm -hmm. uh I've got some people in my life that are encouraging me to set those goals. And when you reach them, celebrate them. Pause for a second. Pause for a second and yeah. enjoy that. Yes. Because we can be so busy that we don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. And then we're looking to the, towards the next quote-unquote achievement or next goal. And that's good to do. But you can at least give yourself a night or a day or maybe a weekend away with some friends or or whatever, or relaxing for a full day. Like a full day of no work and just being like, this is because I've worked hard and and look at what's been the fruit of some of that. I, I do. You know, one of my friends, Cindy Morgan, who you know, mm-hmm. um, very, very close friend of mine, and she told me a long time ago, she said, oh, Andrew, we just eat nose for lunch. <laughs> we just eat nose for lunch. And you occasionally get a yes for dessert, you know. But the yeses are like the th- all anyone else sees and they look at and they're like oh my gosh you're doing so well and they don't know that we've been gobbling up nose for lunch you know and it's a little bit the thick skin idea you know um i heard someone say recently like grow thick skin but maintain a tender heart Mm. and i think that's a good balance like don't let every criticism throw you on the ground um, but also don't get cynical yeah you know because it's easy to be cynical it's easy to to reach a detour or roadblock on our path mm-hmm. and say, I want to quit. I want to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing any of these yeses. I keep getting no's, no's, mm-hmm. no's. Um, how did, how did you deal with some of those? Like, how do you, how did you keep moving? With rejection with or with failure? Rejection, yeah. or... Like, how did you, what was, what's the most difficult, one of the most difficult steps that you had to uh, take? Hmm. I don't know about most difficult doesn't have to be the most difficult, but it's just a difficult step that you had the opportunity to quit. I dealt with a lot of peer insecurity when I first started in music, which I've now learned is not very abnormal, no matter what level of success you're at. But I would actually go on Wikipedia and look at people's birth dates and see if I was where they were by the time they were a certain age, you know, which is like the worst idea ever. It's so comparison minded. And, and I got out of that habit pretty quick. I mean, I gave myself a pep talk and confess to some friends and you know because age is not an indicator of anything really in that regard it's just the number of trips around the sun it is it is you know and some yeah it is and i've lived long enough now and tied to the music and entertainment industry that it's like you see people who've already burned out that Mm -hmm. were really you know at a pinnacle when i was comparing and so you know, I, gosh, you know, I've had tons of no's and tons of 
perceived failures. I'm just on the road of the the long and steady, you know, like I started surveying some lives of people I really respect who've had long careers and a lot of them were slow and steady. It was a slow growth and it was and they've had some pinnacles along the way, but they've had as many downs as they've had mm-hmm. ups and financial and commercially and all this kind of stuff. So I don't I don't know what like I can't remember like this greatest rock bottom that like propelled me and in, back into action, but just dealing with comparison has been really important for me to not compare celebration as part of not comparing actually hmm. because you give yourself a chance to realize your unique place in this world and your unique and the that's unique good. response to what you have done um, and that that's different than everyone else you know just for a moment even it's different hmm. and that's cool that's like a little bit of your mark you know and we do have a desire to leave some sort of legacy for whatever reason and so there must be something kind of spiritual about that but yeah someone encouraged me to also receive failure as information like it's just learning it's learning curves all day long they never end you know learning curves never end so i don't know i kind of like i kind of like the whole meal now you know i i don't mind eating those nose because i think i have enough like track record to realize there's there's dessert around the corner. You know, there's a treat. Um, and I'm like, maybe the nose are just kale. You know, like it's like, it doesn't taste that great, but it's, it's good for me. It's, it's good for you. That rough edge at least is good for you. Yeah, exactly. It's keeping me regular. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, one of my favorite questions that I like asking uh-huh. people is uh, if you could go back in time to visit, to visit a past version of yourself and give yourself some advice. Um, what age would you go back to or what season of life would you go back to and what would you tell yourself? And also, would you listen to yourself? Mm, Yeah, probably not. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been asked the question, like, what would I tell myself from like a kind of holistic standpoint, but Mm -hmm. from a professional standpoint or, you know, that kind of trajectory, I think just to maybe to be myself, I think I'm still learning what it means to be myself. And maybe that's a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. This new foray into journalism and to hosting things and being on camera and being behind the camera. And that wasn't a dream of mine when I was a kid. You know, like maybe to just be yourself because you'll realize what dreams are actually your dreams earlier. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think I'm beginning to fulfill some of my dreams that... I was either too shy to admit they were my dreams because I thought mm. they were like pie in the sky and everyone has pie in the sky. Or I just wasn't kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, like true enough to myself. I mean, I definitely think music was always a part of me. and But I kind of always had this inkling that like, I remember back um, asking questions. The, the reason I wanted to meet artists that I loved was to ask them questions. It was more than yeah. getting a picture. I would get a picture and get an autograph, but I wanted to ask them questions. Well, guess what I do for my living now? I ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, now what kind of questions did you want to ask them? Like, cause I, I've, uh-huh. I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of, yeah. a lot of interesting people in, yes, in cele- some celebrities and everything. Um, and then I've also been at concerts where people want to ask those people questions, but it's more that, 
it always it always frustrates me whenever people are asking, well, how do I how do I get a record deal? Yeah. Or how do I do? I'm like that's not really what I want to know from this person. Right. What, what what kind of questions did totally did Andrew I, ask? I don't remember asking like how do I be you. I remember asking like kind of what made them tick questions. You know like, and sometimes that was related to like a song that maybe really related to me, and I was curious what was behind that song, but which was a clue into how they tick. You know, or I was curious kind of what life was like for them and not so much because they were celebrity but because I really connected with something that they were expressing in their art form and I wanted to know what was behind someone that I connected so easily to and why were we connected connected in that way and um, it's always been how do people tick of course with a dad that, that was a counselor I don't think that's totally... I mean, because he was always interested in how we ticked. Okay. And he was asking questions of his own family um, more than trying to prescribe things for him. He was really asking questions. He really was very interested in how people work and what they're thinking. And he really wanted to know our thoughts, even when we didn't know our thoughts, you know. And so I think I probably came by some of that naturally from him without even knowing it. He kind of rubbed off on me that way. So the question thing, you know, and I also really always loved kind of the hosting element of thing, mm-hmm. like kind of programming, you know, you get programming, like programming something really beautifully and then also administering that from in front of the camera or a live mm-hmm. audience. And even a lot of my music career has been Andrew and Friends, a lot of Andrew and Friends yeah. things, a lot of collaboration. So I just never, I don't, I never liked being totally alone on stage and I'm comfortable with it. You know, we taped some stuff where mm-hmm. I was solo today, but um, I like people around. I like a team. I like a group effort. Um, feels more natural, I think, to like how we were made. Hmm. You know, I think that's why huge solo artists typically crumble at some point. Hmm. I I just think it's too isolated of a of a spot. And so you intentionally don't want to isolate yourself. You intentionally try to bring people into. Andrew and Friends concerts and stuff yeah. like that. I do love, I just love collaborate. I love the synergy of people. I love chemistry with people, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, to some degree, it's relieving. It's like, oh, I don't have to carry the whole thing. You know, it's even relieving from the sense of like, oh, you could have laryngitis and the Andrew and Friends show could still happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, it's just relieving. I, I've, I am earlier in my life. And I would say in my 20s, I just put a lot of pressure on myself, a lot of unseen pressure. Mm-hmm. I don't think people saw as much. They mostly see me as a relaxed person. I think that's my true nature. But so much pressure. And somewhere along the line, I just thought, you know what? That's not the way to live. And if I went at this a little less alone, you know, then... I want to express. I want to have space to express myself. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I don't want someone to always be, to have to chime into that. But I kind of want them nearby. You know. I love it. I I love like on dinner conversations when we have guests. Some I know, some I don't. Before mm-hmm. they hit the door, we always leave. I'm walking them out. You know, walking them or them and their manager out and talking about things we weren't talking about before they entered yeah. the room and I couldn't do that on camera by myself <laughs> you know I mean who would care that's called stand-up comedy or something I don't know but yeah 
it's uh, even stand-up comics though need an audience. They need to have somebody. Totally, that they gotta have. There's yeah. gotta be that connection. It has to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very hard for me to talk to the camera alone. Yeah. I, I I respect the people that can do that. Yes. It's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. Um, Andrew, what what is God teaching you recently? What is God teaching you right now? Hmm. Right now, um. You know, I'm still pressing into this idea of like being of what we're talking about earlier of the qualification mm-hmm. thing, which is a worthiness um, conversation. And I think I don't I don't want to dictate God's lesson. Like I want to just try to receive it. So I'm not sure if this is what He's trying to teach me, but it feels very present, mm-hmm. and it is a spiritual lesson, and and that is that. I am worthy. Um, and that comes, there's a lot of in that, you know, believing I'm loved unconditionally, no strings attached, believing that I am accepted and received by my creator and therefore am worthy to be accepted and received by other people. Um, yeah, I have I have some fear in my life about, around... Um, I guess maybe everyone has this a little bit, but I don't know. For me, even though I, it's so funny because I'm I exist within a community where I'm very known. Mm-hmm. Like um, we know each other, we're transparent about what goes on in our lives and stuff like that. And yet, I still have this a fear of if they knew, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could name some of those things, like if they knew A, B, and C, but then there's all these unnamed ones that I don't know, so what am I afraid of? You know, like, I don't even know what I'm afraid of kind of thing. And I think that comes down to an unworthiness thing. I think fear is me not totally surrendered to the idea that God loves me as I am and that I can live out of that place rather than trying to get him or someone else to love me. And the thing is, we don't get love. We just re- we just receive it. So, mm. you know, stop ach- trying to achieve love and just. Um, again, I think that's a huge spiritual thing. You know, at its core, it's what we've talked about yeah. off and on throughout this entire yeah. time. It's it's a spiritual thing. So, I I feel like he's kind of. I do feel like if God that that's a lesson on his lesson plan for me right now. Which was what I'm sensing. Then it's like, I feel like he's kind of beating it in, you know. Like he's really trying to to get me to absorb it because it's present on my mind all the time. That receiving love. Yeah, I don't feel like shame is not present on my mind all the time, or like that's good, you know. But that trying to understand what it means to surrender to a level to receive that, or or just doing that you know and i wake up in the morning and i've made a habit for years since i took this trip to wyoming just wake up in the morning and say good morning god you know like just a kind of a present awareness of we're walking together that he's present Mm -hmm. it's kind of an addition to that right now is like help me receive your love help me live out from your love you know and help me not try to use someone else for love today because I can just receive it from you, you know, and it's the love we long for, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it. It's the whole thing. Yeah. 
Do you have a, a verse that you would consider like a life verse? I already said you it. You already said that. That's uh, right. But I, I will repeat it again if you'd like. That sounds good. Uh, you did such a good Second job. Timothy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it definitely is a life verse. I didn't learn it till later. Uh, I mean, I was in my twenties, but it is. And here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who will call on his name and believe. So now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that again. Yeah, yeah. What book do you think would impact my life? Something that you've read, or even that you've written, um, that you think would really benefit my no, life? No, I, I don't really recommend my own writings. Um, uh, that's a great question. Um, I tend to think in recent terms of what I've read, you know, but... Uh, you know, one of the more spiritually focused things I've read recently is Henry Nouwen's The Wounded Healer mm. and Henry Nouwen's Life of the Beloved. Life of the Beloved is the one I just finished reading. And Henry is definitely waxes poetic at times. Uh, so it can, you know, you're kind of like, you have to go there artistically and just read along and let it sink in, not try to dissect every word. But Life of the Beloved is... All about his it's a letter to his closest friend who's a Jewish man who has asked Henry to write if a letter to he and his Jewish friends or maybe not even Jewish friends but just kind of non-believing friends about what is it what is there to the gospel what does it all mean and this is really interesting it's a letter to him it is interesting and the letter is in the form now of a book of about 60 pages or something. But So he's you're reading a letter he's writing to his friend. And it's all about the fact that we're beloved. And so maybe that's why I resonated with so much recently. But I think anybody could. And I think, yeah. I don't know if you'd love Henry Nouwen's writings or not. But I think the book is... Interesting. Wounded Healer is really special, too, of his. And that's about Jesus, you know, uh, really identifying with us in our sorrows and griefs and and healing coming mm-hmm. from, you know, kind of the stripes that we bear. Well, the title is fascinating. The Wounded just Healer. The Wounded Healer. That, yeah. That just mm-hmm. that's, makes me want to read it just by listening yes. to the title. It's been a while since I've read that one, but you might really yeah. like that one. And then I have a ton of fiction I could probably recommend that have nothing to do with anything of great value. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, how can I uh, find you on social media sure. and your yep. dinner conversations and you website and stuff like that? Easily just Google Andrew Greer, and fortunately I still come up. Or the website is Andrew-Greer, and that's G-R-E-E-R.com, two E's. Um, and from there you can get linked to my socials. My socials are easy because they're all at... A Greer Music, Andrew Greer. So at A Greer Music. Um, dinner Conversations, they can find a link to that too there, but uh, that's easy because it's just dinner-conversations.com where you can Google Dinner Conversations. The title of the show is 
Dinner Conversations with Mark Lowry and Andrew Greer, subtitled Turning the Light on One Question at a Time. So, whatever. Now search engines are so good. Yeah. You can just do your own little research. (laughs) And you can find my birthday on Wikipedia, and you can compare if you're doing as well as I'm doing at my age. (laughs) If you remember your own age. I know. I I do have trouble. I know. I'm always underestimating or overestimating. It's not a consistent. I'm not always going low. Sometimes I'm going high. That was funny this morning when you... Yeah, but we just determined I'm 36. That's where I'm at. Yes. <laughs> Andrew, thank you for being yeah. on my podcast yeah. and uh, just having this conversation with me. Thanks for inviting me. Andrew is someone that I always look forward to being with because he is so much more than just a musician or a TV host. He is truly a deep person, and I greatly appreciate the conversations that we have, and I look forward to the next time that we get to be together. One of the places that my heart burned during our conversation is when we questioned, are we closer to being like Jesus today than we were yesterday? That question is extremely challenging. Can I lay my head down on my pillow at night and really say that I was a good representative of Jesus today? Some days, yes. Some other days, maybe not so much. This is my prayer, that as I walk with Jesus, I become more like him. So Jesus, help me walk intentionally with you. When Andrew talked about comparing ourselves to others, that was also very convicting. I appreciate his openness to say that he looked at people's Wikipedia pages and tried to match up with their mile markers. Comparison is a dangerous road. It leaves us very unsatisfied and diminishes our faith that God really does have a plan and a destination for us. Being truly surrendered is a great way to combat this. Andrew said that he wakes up every morning and sings, I surrender all. That is a wonderful and very practical idea. We also talked about celebrating our wins and accomplishments, and that's something that I'm not very good at. So I'm going to ask you for help. As my real-life television season wraps up in late June, I will have produced 1,000 episodes of my TV show. How should I celebrate? Please send me some ideas. I might actually use one of them. And I would really appreciate your help with that. The last along the way moment that I want to leave you with is that we don't get love. We just need to receive it. God's love isn't something that we can earn, but he freely gives it to us. And a changed life is a proof of God's love. I pray that you feel his love today. As I said in the beginning of this episode, I have another giveaway for you. Andrew offered a signed copy of Dinner Conversations Season 1 on DVD. That series is a lot of fun, and you get to see Andrew in his element interviewing people such as Michael W. Smith, Sandy Patty, Russ Taff, and many more. For a chance to win this DVD, please email johnalongtheway at gmail.com with your name, where you're listening from, and your along-the-way moment from this episode. It doesn't have to be long. I just love hearing how this podcast is blessing you. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please rate and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. You can also email me at johnalongtheway at gmail.com. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey, and may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.